Well, hello, welcome to Trinity. So grateful you joined us today. My name is Jeff. Before we jump into the message, I got some exciting news to share. This next week, June 6th, we are moving from outdoors at Maranatha Christian School to inside the gym. Service time will remain the same. It's a big, beautiful gym. We'll have chairs spaced out similar to how we're sitting outside, but we are going inside June 6th. We're going to ask when you're inside that you continue to wear masks per California state mandate for now, but outside before and after the service, we're going to leave um, the mask decision up to each individual family. So it's up to you as a family as to whether you will wear masks outdoors. Uh, if you choose to wear masks, we respect that. If you choose not to wear masks, we respect that. We're going to strive for unity in this, but indoors masks, outdoors, it's up to you. Also, this is the last week of what we call our pre-record. This is where we record the service on a different day and then put it on YouTube. We are moving to a live stream next week. So you will see the service as it happens at Maranatha. If you are um, still at home, um, still hasn't come back, which is totally great, um, but we will be live streaming that 945 on Sundays. That's it. Um, fun things happening at the church. But let's jump in now. We're in a series that we call Loyal Love. We're looking at the narrative of a man named Joseph. His life, his trials, his struggles, um, his, uh, some of the challenges he's gone through, persecutions, he's been in jail, um, he has suffered. And one of the questions that kind of goes through this whole narrative as I've been reading it is like the question, why? Why is this happening? Maybe a question you can relate in your own life. Man, what is going on? What is happening in my life? Why, God, are you putting me through this? You can't see the forest yet through the trees. And it's a question that we're going to seek to unpack a little bit today. And then we're going to also talk about at the last week of our Joseph series next week. But let's jump in. Let me read the passage for us, uh, starting in Genesis 44, 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This is the word of God. 
As we jump into this emotional and challenging part of Joseph's story, I want you, as you're listening, to press into those emotions. I want you to feel it. I don't want you to just hear the story. I want you to go, what would it be like if I was there? I believe that the restoration that we're going to see within Joseph and his brother's lives throughout this passage is the kind of restoration we can see in our own hearts, in our own story. So I want you to continually come back to this question. How would I have responded if I was Joseph? If you're taking notes, we're going to look at three movements as we unpack this story. Number one, an authentic repentance. Number two, an undeserved forgiveness. And number three, a complete restoration. Let me quickly bring us up to speed, set a bit of context before we jump in. This is super crucial as we understand kind of the emotional complexity of the moment that we find ourselves here in chapters 45. So if you don't know the story of Joseph, real quick, his brothers hate him. This is 20 years ago. They sell him into slavery. They intend to kill him. They decided to sell him as a slave. He goes to Egypt. He's then in prison for many years but he interprets a, interprets a dream from Pharaoh that, in, that there will be seven years of plenty in the land and seven years of famine. So Pharaoh raises him up to be second command in, over all of Egypt. And they build up silos for seven years, and then the famine hits, and, and Egypt is well prepared. But in Canaan, Jacob's family are running out of food. So Jacob goes, I hear there is grain in Egypt, and he sends his sons to Egypt to buy grain. He does not send his younger son, Benjamin, though. This is Joseph's um, actual brother, same mother, because he loves the boy so much. But Jacob's sons go to Egypt to buy grain. And Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. And he's going to put them through these series of tests. He goes to the brothers and he accuses them of being spies. He says, you're here to spy out the land. You're here to spy out the grain and all, all that we have. And they said, no, no, we're, we're not spies. We are Israelites. We're from Canaan. We have a father named Jacob and a brother named Benjamin. So Joseph says, I'm going to take one of your brothers, Simeon, and I'm going to imprison him. I want you to go home. I want you to bring back Benjamin. And this is a point in the story where we begin to see evidence of the sin and the shame that has burdened the brothers for 20 years. If you're taking notes, point number one is this, an authentic repentance. The brothers say in, in chapter 42, verse 21, they say, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. They're speaking of Joseph there. Well, they eventually return with, with Benjamin to Joseph. Simeon is released. And they're about to leave, and Joseph continues this, these kind of tests. And he, he hides this royal cup, his royal cup, inside Benjamin's bag. And as they're leaving, the royal guards come out, and they find the cup. And Joseph goes, how dare you steal from me? And he points to Benjamin and says, you will be my servant here in Egypt. And Judah comes to Joseph, emotional, and continues the thought of 44.16. He says to Joseph, what shall we say, Lord? What shall we speak? 
How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now remember, this repentance, this repentant heart that Judah is explaining to Joseph is still based on the belief that Joseph has gone. He does not know that this is him. And to do a quick definition of repentance, repentance means we are truly sorry for something we have done and not just its consequences. And we want to change our behavior. A repentant life is a changed life. Not in that perfection is ever attained, but in that the fruit of repentance, a change in action and attitudes, becomes discernible in a person's character. And with Judah, we we see this change of action. We see this change of attitudes in what he says to Joseph. He's going to plead with Joseph. Please, let me stay and not Benjamin. My life for his. I cannot go back to my father for fear of what might happen to him. If you remember 20 years earlier, the brothers had no care what their father felt when they sold their brother into slavery and went back and told him that he was killed by a wild animal. Uh, Deguide, who wrote a commentary on Genesis, writes that, the brother who first hatched the plan to sell Joseph as a slave has come full circle. Judah saying, my life for yours. We see a repentant heart that has changed over the years. And then what happens here is Joseph's going to make himself known to his brothers. Our second point, if you're taking notes, is this, an undeserved forgiveness. Joseph says to his brothers, who would have been in a state of complete shock at the time, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Now, Joseph has probably played this scene out in his mind for 20 years. I mean, how many internal conversations do you think he had with his brothers? I want to ask you if you were in that position. Your brother sold you to slavery, you're in prison, and all you're thinking is, if I ever get the chance, here's what I would say to them. Where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? But Joseph, when the moment comes and he reveals himself to his brothers, is overcome with emotion, and he doesn't think to go at his brothers. All his thoughts go to, is his dad? Is my father okay? It's heartbreaking to think of what his heart might have gone through knowing the pain his father would have been in. And his brothers, as you can imagine, are in a state of shock. And I think that quickly turned to fear. This, is, this man is second in command in all of Egypt. He can do with us whatever he wants. But Joseph, he shows no anger. He shows no bitterness. He draws them close. He hugs them and tells them not to be distressed or angry at what they did. Again, I want us to search our own hearts. Man, how does this moment hit you? Where do you think you would go if you were Joseph? How would you feel if you were the brothers and all of a sudden you're confronted with this sin that has plagued you for 20 years? This perfect opportunity for Joseph to make his brothers pay for their crime. Certainly he would have been justified if he went, dig a hole, I'm going to put you in a pit. 
I'm going to sell you to slavery, eye for an eye. But he didn't. Instead, he devises this intricate plan which ultimately leads to the brother's redemption and would return to Joseph the people he thought were lost forever, his family. He doesn't let his past control him. Let me give us a modern-day illustration um, of Joseph. There's a man named Louis Zambrini. Many of you probably know that name. He grew up in L.A. Um, he's the subject of a famous book called Unbroken, as well as a movie. But Zambrini was a famous sprinter, went to the Olympics when it was in Germany. And then he's in World War II. He gets shot down, ends up in a Japanese POW camp. And as you read the book, his situations, like Joseph, keep going from bad to worse. And he eventually ends up at this specific POW, POW camp with a man named Matsuhio the Bird, was his nickname, Watanabe. And he tortured Zambrini. He knew he was a famous sprinter. And he, and he singled him out, and day after day, for a couple years, he would torture him. Zambrini was eventually released, brought back to America, but struggled with anger and alcoholism, didn't know how to deal with his pain, with his past, until he ended up at a Billy Graham crusade, urged by his wife. And at a Billy Graham crusade, he gave his life to Jesus, and he realized how much his past was controlling him. Many years later, Zambrini even went to Japan, and he tried to find the bird, he wanted to tell him, man, I forgive you. Jesus has opened my heart, has softened my heart, and has changed me. But the bird in his shame would not even meet with Zambrini. So I want to ask you that question again. How much does your past control you? How much does it affect your heart, control your thoughts? Let me, let me go to our third point today, a complete restoration. How does Joseph have, such a, have the power to forgive his brothers of such a horrific crime? I think the clue is in that last part of verse 5. He says, that God, he says that God sent me before you to preserve life. How could Joseph possibly do what he just did? His deep faith and trust in God's plan for his life. And that plan would lead not just to the restoration of Joseph's brothers, but ultimately to all of God's people. That Joseph would send for his father and bring his father up from Canaan to live in Egypt. In fact, Pharaoh tells him, don't even bring your things. We will give you the best of what we have. A full restoration, a welcoming into Egypt with the blessing of Pharaoh. And next week, as we conclude this series, we're going to look closer at that question of like, why did God allow all this to happen? But today we see that Joseph's faith in God and God's plan for his life was what protected his heart and allowed him to forgive his brothers. Let me conclude with this. The story of Joseph is not just a story told thousands of years ago. It's our story as well. Not that we are Joseph, but it's really the story of a beloved son, unjustly persecuted, ultimately killed 
because of the sins of his family, of his people, of you and of me. It's the story of Jesus who came for our deliverance. Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, gives this famous sermon in Acts 2. And here's what he says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Here's what he's saying. It was God's plan to send Jesus to this world to be crucified. What does Joseph say? It it, it was God's plan to send Joseph into the pit, sold into slavery, and imprisoned. Maybe, maybe it's God's plan to have you right where you are. And this is especially true in times of pain, of discouragement, and even suffering. And you might say, no, no, no. No, you don't know what I'm going through. And from the deepest parts of my heart, you're right. I don't know what you're going through, but Joseph does. And Jesus most certainly does. See, because Joseph was willing to suffer for a crime he did not commit, all the brothers were forgiven of a crime they did commit. And because Jesus was willing to suffer for all crimes, all sin, all wrongdoings, sins he did not commit, we are forgiven for the sins we did commit. And therefore restored into good standing with God and giving the best of what God has to offer, life with him. To be a Christian does not require moral perfection. It does not promise an easy life, often the opposite of that. But Christians are those who have authentically repented of their sins. Christians who have received an undeserved forgiveness and people who have been fully restored to God by the blood of Jesus. As a result of that, we forgive. We forgive like Joseph forgave. We forgive because we are forgiven. We love because we are loved. And we seek to bring shalom and peace and restoration to this world because God has graciously given it to us and promises to give us that kind of restoration with him in the future. Let's pray. Father, this is such a powerful story. This is such a powerful moment in the story where the brothers come face to face with this horrible sin and yet they receive this undeserved forgiveness from Joseph. They are set free. They are restored. They are built up. May we look at our own hearts and understand the sin we have committed against God and the forgiveness we have received through Jesus. We thank you for sending him. We thank you for the sacrifice he made for us, the life he gave us, the one we did not deserve, but the one he paid for. And I pray we would go out and we would love well. We would forgive others as hard as it is because we are forgiven by you, God. We thank you for your mercy in our lives. We thank you for your grace in Jesus. And we pray all of this in his holy name. Amen.